Section 22 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 10. Pope Alexander VI. Part 1. Charles VIII, King of France, died of a stroke of apoplexy on April 7, 1491, the very day on which the doctrines of Savonarola were to be submitted at Florence to the proof of fire. Charles was twenty-seven years of age, and had reigned for about fourteen years and a half. He was the last of the direct line of the House of Valois, which had sat on the throne of France for a hundred and nineteen years. He was succeeded by Louis the Twelfth, a name full of fate to Italy. Before his accession he was known as the Duke of Orléans, being descended from Louis, Duke of Orléans, son of King Charles V, who married Valentina of Milan. Before we proceed with the further relations between France and Italy, we must retrace our steps and follow with close attention the career of Alexander VI. Charles VIII had left Italy in a state of the most terrible confusion. It was divided by two parties, the League of Venice, between Rome, Venice, and Milan, supported by the Emperor Maximilian and the King of England, and the French party, which consisted of Savoy, Montferrat, Ferrara, Florence, Bologna, and the Orsini of Rome. Whilst Charles was on his homeward march, the Emperor Maximilian was at the Diet of Worms, haggling with the estates for money. Before he returned to the Tyrol, Charles was back again in France, and the war was over. But there was some danger lest Charles should return. An embassy was sent to Maximilian to say that Charles was expected every day, and that the Florentines were threatening Pisa. After taking counsel with his son Philip, Maximilian determined to march. His plan aimed at something more than to rescue Italy from the hands of the French. He proposed, after Italy was pacified, to go on to Provence to help Duke René. Philip was to attack France from the Netherlands, Ferdinand of Spain from Rossillon. The invaders were to meet in Lyon, and Burgundy would be recovered for the empire. It should be noticed that in the wars of Europe at this time German soldiers bore a principal part. German soldiers assisted the Muscovites against the Poles. With their help, the Swedes destroyed the forces of the Scandinavian Union. Germans fought in England for the House of York, and for Brittany against the Crown of France. In Naples, the soldiers on both sides were Germans, and so also were the conquerors of the Hungarians. Maximilian had some reason for believing that if he could unite all these forces under his own standard, he would be irresistible in Europe. The reality was a dismal contrast to the dream. The king of the Romans arrived at Monza at the end of August 1496 without an army and without money. He hoped to be able to obtain these from the League, but in vain he found that he could trust neither Sforza nor the Pope. The dispute was chiefly centred round the question as to whether Pisa should be free or whether it should be surrendered to the Florentines. In October Maximilian laid siege to Ligorne, but the French fleet was able to relieve the place, and his own ships were destroyed by a storm. 
he returned to Germany at the close of 1496. This event and the restoration of the Aragon rule in Naples marked the commencement of the second epoch of Alexander's pontificate. Up to this time, his faults had chiefly been those of indecision and weak self-indulgence. He now seemed to enter upon a deliberate course of evil. His first object was to dispossess the barons of the Roman state, in order to enrich the family of the Borgia. He began with the powerful Orsini. In the wars of Naples they had taken the side of Charles, and their rivals the Colonna the side of Aragon. In June 1496, the Pope confiscated the property of the Orsini and gave it to his son, the Duke of Gandia, whom he also made standard-bearer of the church. The Orsini at first bowed before the storm. They surrendered all the places which appeared to them incapable of defence, and took refuge in the strong castle of Bracciano, which was formidable not only by its natural strength, but by the lake which lay before it. Help speedily came to them from the north, and the Pope's troops were entirely defeated at the Battle of Soriano on January 26, 1497. The Duke of Urbino was taken prisoner, and the Duke of Gandia wounded. The plans of the Pope against the Orsini were thus baffled, and he was compelled to make peace. He now turned his attention elsewhere. With the help of the great captain Consalvo of Cordova, he conquered the castle of Ostia, the property of the noted Cardinal Giuliano, now in possession of Virginio Orsini. He divorced his daughter Lucrezia from Giovanni Sforza, Lord of Pesaro, probably at the bidding of Cesare Borgia, who now began to exert his baneful influence. He loaded the Duke of Gandia with honours. He gave him the duchies of Benevento, Terracina, and Ponte Corvo, and offered even to mark him out for the throne of Naples. He was to go there with his brother, the Cardinal Cesare, to crown Federico of Altamura. Before they could start on their journey, a terrible event occurred. On the evening of June 14, 1497, the Duke of Gandia, Cesare, and their mother, Vanozza, together with Cardinal Ascanio Sforza, supped together in a vineyard on the outskirts of Rome. It is said that during the banquet the Borgia insulted Ascanio. Cesare and his mother went away, and Ascanio and Gandia were left alone. Gandia then departed, riding a mule with a single companion. When they reached the Piazza della Ebrei, Gandia sent his attendant to the palace to fetch arms. When he returned, he saw nothing of the duke, but the mule was afterwards discovered. Some charcoal burners deposed that they had seen on that night a man on horseback with others on foot mount one of the bridges over the Tiber and throw the dead body of a man into the river. The man on horseback said to his attendants, Has it gone to the bottom? And one of them replied, Yes, my lord. The charcoal burners looked on to the river and saw the dead man's mantle floating and threw stones to sink it. When asked why he had made no report to the governor, he replied, I have in my life seen a hundred dead bodies thrown into the river there, and no one ever troubled his head about them. The next day the body of the duke was recovered. 
it was completely dressed and had nine wounds and one mortal thrust in the throat the purse was full of money the pope on hearing it neither ate drank nor slept for three days he was altogether inconsolable and could only say perpetually i know the murderer there can be little doubt that the murderer was cesare borgia who was very jealous of his brother he had entered most reluctantly into the ecclesiastical state which seemed to shut the door to civil honours the pope after a fortnight gave up all attempt to discover the criminal after a few weeks decent mourning cesare went to naples and crowned federigo on august tenth he was the last king of the house of aragon the attempts which the pope had made at reform in the first threat of disaster were given up and there was no more talk of his relinquishing the tiara cesare borgia became more powerful than ever he was invested with the fiefs which were to have belonged to his brother and it was clear that he would soon exchange the cardinal's hat for a princely coronet the summer of this year showed a change in the politics of europe which was one of the signs of the era spain takes henceforth a prominent place in the new family of nations ferdinand became anxious to strengthen himself with alliances he betrothed his daughter isabella to manuel king of portugal making it a condition of the marriage that all jews and enemies of the inquisition should be driven out of the country the jews thus expelled spread over europe which they enriched by their industry and from that time there was peace between spain and portugal for a century and a half a similar negotiation was begun with the king of england catherine of aragon was married to arthur prince of wales and henry the seventh joined the league against france the pope as has been already mentioned sent to henry the consecrated hat and sword the pretenders lambert simnel and perkin warbeck were supported by the french party in order to weaken the position of henry they also found assistance in scotland which was always well disposed toward france peace with scotland was purchased by the marriage of margaret daughter of henry the seventh to james the fourth the king of that country an alliance which eventually brought about the union between the two kingdoms a strong friendship also existed at this time between scotland and king john of denmark who possessed norway and had claims over sweden thus a league of alliance and friendship extended from the arctic circle to the southern shores of spain and sicily the three pillars of the alliance were ferdinand henry and maximilian it seemed to threaten the very existence of the french monarchy the troops of maximilian entered france in three bodies but as we have seen charles the eighth died on april seventh fourteen ninety one and his successor louis the twelfth was able to break up the league and to place europe in the same condition as if it had never existed the first object of louis the twelfth on coming to the throne was to strengthen his position as king for this purpose he divorced his own wife and married the widow of charles the eighth anne duchess of brittany by which means that appanage was secured to the crown in order to contract this marriage he required a papal dispensation and this gave an opportunity for bringing about more intimate relations between himself and the pope 
on his entry into paris he proclaimed himself king of naples and duke of milan king of naples as heir to rene of provence and duke of milan as the lineal descendant of the visconti in the female line this step had the effect of breaking up the league ferdinand joined him against naples venice joined him against milan ludovico il moro awaited the onslaught relying on the turks the emperor and the swiss we shall see how these props were destined to fail him in august fourteen ninety eight cesare borgia solemnly laid aside the dignity of cardinal this was easier because he was still a layman and had never received holy orders he declared that he had no vocation for the priestly state and that he had become cardinal under the compulsion of the pope some one has remarked that these are perhaps the only true words he ever spoke in october he set out for france with a gorgeous train he carried with him a treasure of two hundred thousand ducats the robes of his suite were sewn with pearls the shoes of his horses were of silver he was received by louis the twelfth at the castle of chinon with outward courtesy but with inward contempt he was created duke of valence or of valentinois a province on the rhone this is curious because he had before been archbishop of valentia and it has led to some confusion he soon afterwards married jeanne d'albret sister of the king of navarre and thus became a member of the royal house of france the object of cesare was to procure for himself a principality in italy and louis promised to assist him in this as soon as he got possession of milan alexander joined the alliance which the king of france had made with milan paying no attention to the protest of the king of spain this alliance was effected by the treaty of angers concluded between france and venice on february ninth fourteen ninety nine by the mediation of the cardinal giuliano della rovere the cause of quarrel between il moro and venice was the possession of pisa the venetians wishing it to remain independent the moor wished it to belong to the florentines but there was no mention of pisa in the treaty it only provided that venice should make war against il moro and in case of success should receive cremona and the whole of the milanese coast of adda it was the will of fate that the duke of milan should find no allies to assist him in this crisis the neutrality of england and spain were secured by treaty maximilian who had begun an attack on burgundy found himself engaged in a war with switzerland florence was busy with pisa and federigo of naples had quite enough to do to defend himself there are few things more remarkable in history than the manner in which louis the twelfth finding himself at his accession girt with a threatening ring of powerful foes contrived to break up their alliance and even direct some of its force against his chosen enemy the war began in august trivolzo the general of louis the twelfth took valenza and alessandria as he advanced from the west the venetians pressed on from the east the guelph party took the side of the french and town after town fell before them il moro had no safety but in flight he went first to como and then into the tyrol where he was received with much favour by maximilian louis the twelfth entered pavia on october sixth 
he was accompanied by the princes of Savoy, Montferrat, Ferrara, and Mantua, by the ambassadors of Venice, Florence, Siena, and Pisa, by Giuliano della Rovere, and by Cesare Borgia. An eyewitness, after speaking of the Duke of Valentinois as a most wicked man, describes him as a young man well made and robust, with fair hair falling over his shoulders, his face lean and pale, his eyes light and fiery, his general appearance combining beauty and grace with signs of the terrible temper which seethed within. Louis the Twelfth left Milan to return to France on November 7th. He took with him Francesco Sforza, a child of eight years, the son of the unfortunate Gian Galeazzo. He left Rivolzio behind him as a viceroy. End of section 22